The text for our message is Luke 4, 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, happy 4th of July to everyone. Uh, I'd like to bring a, a three-message series based on Luke 4, 14 to 30, today's section uh, ending at verse 21. Uh, this is near the start of Jesus's ministry, he having just returned from being tempted in the wilderness. Uh, the Holy Spirit has guided him uh, through the testing and led him to inaugurate his preaching and deeds ministry. Um, Jesus appears in his hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up to announce who he was and what he was doing for God's kingdom. Uh, if you'll recall, we covered uh, four uh, so-called servant songs um, in the middle of the book of Isaiah as a sermon series uh, back in April. At that time, I fiddled with the idea of another sermon on Isaiah 61, uh, which some commentators believe is a fifth servant song. Uh, I'm now kind of getting to 61 verses 1 and 2, um, which is quoted in uh, verses 18 and 19 of Luke 4. Uh, the theme of this little series, which I hope to develop, is self-understanding. Self-understanding. Um, I find that I spend quite a bit of time trying to reflect on how... Um, we see how we know, how we assess ourselves. Um, I think I'm drawn to the topic uh, because it's kind of fun to figure out uh, ourselves better or how to, how to think about ourselves. Uh, I recently took um, a kind of a, a test, a personality test, if you will, for a pastor's gathering. Um, I think regard, like, it was kind of like, what's your like leadership style or something like that. Um, and I've taken so many of these over the years that I kind of know which direction the questions are supposed to kind of go towards. And I actually cheated. I looked at the options before I took the test. And there were two that I go, I fancy myself to be like this. Uh, they were the thinker and the loyalist. And I go, I wish I'd come out like that. Um, but there was one called the systematizer that I go, oh, this is probably going to be where I end up. Anyway, I try to, you know, be fancy with my answers and, and try to avoid the outcome. And uh, guess what? I became the systematizer. Anyway, um, not only uh, is it maybe fun to kind of think about ourselves, but accurate knowledge and knowing yourself, self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-understanding, I think these can help in terms of spiritual growth. Um, we're all on a path, sometimes uh, difficult, to be transformed into the image of Christ. 
certainly it is the Holy Spirit which brings about the real imitation of Christ, but I think it benefits us to know more about ourselves, uh, to, be, to know what to, to keep an eye on, know what to change. Um, using Luke 4, this, this section, I hope to gain some insights and examples from Jesus, but what can affect our self-knowledge? Of course, Jesus, uh, though fully human, had some unique qualities about him because he was fully divine at the same time. But for the most part, uh, we can uh, look to him as a model uh, for us. Otherwise, why would Jesus you know, uh, command us to follow him if we're not able to, right? We should be able to learn from him. So for today's concentration, let's think about Jesus' self-understanding in terms of the calling. Uh, God is a calling God. God calls us. God called Jesus even. So the calling received from God, his father, thus uh, the message title you see there. Now, at first glance, um, you know, what Jesus does in Nazareth, what he does in the, in the synagogue, he looks somewhat like a megalomaniac <laughs> because he claims to be the fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy. Moreover, the contents of the prophecy are extraordinary. Uh, some interpreters suggest that the conditions of the year of the Lord's favor, verse 19b, uh, refer to the year of jubilee provisions found in the Mosaic law, uh, a special period of God's uh, gracious blessings upon the people. For Jesus to single-handedly think that he could usher in such amazing results uh, would have been vainglorious indeed. Now, ordinarily, uh, if someone arrogates to him or herself such an ennobling description, uh, I think our first impression might be, well, that, that person's, you know, uh, understanding is pretty delusional. Right? They're deluded into thinking themselves great. Uh, now, maybe if we observe some special uh, skills or evidence that the prophecy was indeed uh, descriptive, we may be less harshly critical. But in this instance, Jesus has not yet performed any miracles directly in Nazareth and doesn't seem to be planning any. He's speaking these words then somewhat in an evidentiary vacuum. But what is more uh, is that Jesus is proclaiming uh, this identity, uh, this role in his hometown where he had spent decades, where people knew him. They had seen him, they had spoken with him, they had experience with him, and they already saw him. They had already pigeonholed him as Joseph's son, merely Joseph's son, just a, a local boy. So for him to act in this way, to say these kinds of things, um, maybe we could see that it being kind of jarring or, or, or disturbing. But Jesus is not trying to be, right? deceitful or facetious or delusional. He's making a serious statement about himself and he wants his listeners to take what he says at face value uh, by faith or in faith, uh, so to speak. As we, uh, as readers much later after this writing, we see what's missing, right? In the people's perspective, they are not privy, they're unaware of God's call on Jesus's life. To be this special servant was, in fact, the entire reason for which Jesus 
had incarnated himself into the world. It was an extraordinary calling, yes, but it was a, a true calling and it shaped, even defined and determined Jesus's self-understanding. You know, what God said to him, what God, the call that God placed on him, the directions and the directive that God gave to Jesus, this helped him understand who he was, what he was supposed to do. And this is the main question, the, the one question that I'd like us to grapple with today. Yeah, how much of our own self-understanding is shaped or defined by God's call upon our lives? How do we look at ourselves? How do we know who we are? How do we know what kind of person uh, I am, you are? Right? Where does that come from? What are the sources of kind of information or assessment? You know, what do we use to kind of gain this personal knowledge, uh, even this uh, self-awareness? Does God's call, what God says about us and to us, and what kind of life we should live ahead of us, does that affect us at all? Or is that just kind of one of many sources, many areas which we might consult? So on a given Sunday, right, we go, oh, God's call upon my life is to worship him with other believers. And so that's what I'm going to do. But on a Tuesday night, when you want to do what you want to do, right, uh, you maybe disregard or I uh, forget what God says about what a, how I should live my life on a daily basis. If we try to quantify it, what percentage of how we see ourselves comes from God's view and what percentage comes from what are other sources? Maybe most interestingly or, or uh, most maybe importantly, what happens when our wills, our views, our understandings clash or conflict with what God wants our lives to be? Which one prevails? When your view of yourself, however it's formed, right, um, hit locked horns with what God says about yourself. Which one did you turn to? Which one prevailed? Which one manifested? Right? Which one ended up being, you know, you, right? your understanding? Um, these are the things that I'd like us to kind of keep thinking about uh, for today. For example, uh, Jesus or God wants us each to exercise humility, right? Every Christian should be the servant of all. But, you know, in our regular day-to-day, uh, -day, in our workplaces, in our interactions with our family and friends, we might see ourselves very differently, right? We don't want to be humble. We don't want to be lowly. We don't want to serve others. We might prefer to see ourselves as VIPs. Right? Someone who deserves to be weighted on hand and foot by underlings. You know, we'd rather be the head rather than the tail. Um, and our professional or social success or experience may suggest that, yeah, we're leader of the pack. We are uh, at the top. So when this happens, right, which of these uh, 
views of self do we buy into, do we pursue? Again, uh, how much does the call of God affect our self-understanding? Uh, for Jesus, it was kind of uh, interesting, right? Because the reality that God had molded him into a person who would bless and help others, this kind of uh, even exaltation as his agent, his, his instrument, according to God's prophetic plans, it really wasn't a source of pride, like, like it might be for us. Like if we felt like God placed this enormous responsibility and this task and this um, kind of recognition upon our shoulders that we might feel better, better special, right, unique. But um, in towns, people certainly are looking at Jesus that we're trying to measure his social stature. We'll look at them in the coming weeks. Um, but Jesus himself, I think, states this truth that he was God's agent of favor, Allah, Isaiah. He says it more um, matter-of-factly. Right? He's not trying to draw, uh, he's not pointing to his own uniqueness or singularity. Um, I think he's really trying to point to God and what God is doing, right? He's trying to uh, alert the people to the urgency of the times. Literally, right before their eyes, the year of the Lord's favor had finally arrived. God's gracious will would be on mighty display. People would be helped. Prisoners freed, the destitute lifted out of their poverty, the blind healed. It would really be a time of glorifying God and rejoicing in his goodness. Right? So uh, Jesus kind of overcame that problem, right? By really letting the call of God define right? his actions, his words, his choices. Um, again, um, how uh, maybe you've been able to give some thought to how do I or you, um, how do we typically arrive at understanding ourselves? Some of us, I think, use intuition. We think and we kind of sense that, oh, I'm like this kind of person, or maybe you read somewhere or saw an example, and you go, yeah, that's me, or that's how I, you know, conduct myself. We, we kind of, kind of, you know, work it out as a process in our minds, or, or you know, we may be more empirical. We look at our results, we look at, uh, you know, our fruit or lack of fruit, uh, the outcomes, and then we draw conclusions. Or I'm this kind of person. I'm. I'm a reliable person, or I'm an unreliable person, whatever the case may be, or I'm like on different <laughs> days, I'm one or the other or both. Yeah, that's why I think personality tests can be kind of fascinating or annoying, depending on whether they confirm what we want to believe ourselves or reveal something that we don't want to admit or is surprising to us. Or experience, right? We can just kind of, as we go through life, we we kind of reinforce these ideas or these, you know, views that we have, these qualities. We, we see certain abilities or interests and we go, oh, we're like that person. Certain stimuli or subject matter, it, it, it begins to de develop the picture who we uh, think we are. And sometimes um, our, these beliefs are reinforced by our corroborating situations or thought patterns, or they become dismantled or completely disproven by our subsequent behavior or analysis, right? So I was thinking about 
um, you know, what, what kind of things that, you know, uh, we see about ourselves, or what kind of things maybe we want to see about ourselves, I was kind of, you know, um, kind of trying to work through that. And I kind of um, hovered, ended up hovering, and just getting kind of landing on this concept of good, right, that a lot of us, right, we uh, interpret life, interpret ourselves, see things in terms of goodness, right? Uh, and so, so like, um, you know, like, we, we want to be known as people who are good, we want to see ourselves as that we're good at, you know, whatever we're doing. And so if you're a parent, you don't want to see yourself as a bad parent. It's like, it's like death. It's like, wow, you know, I brought these kids into the world and, you know, I'm responsible for them. I'm just not, you know, very loving or I'm not very wise. You know, we, at least we strive, at least we want to aspire. Sometimes some of us think we're really good. Maybe we compare ourselves with our friends or, or, or what we see or, or our own parents and we go, I'm a better parent than my parent was. But this idea of, so whatever it is, you might want to, you might think you're a good student, uh, a good friend, a good listener, a good planner, right? Uh, and, 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 you know, the cluster of ideas that kind of connect to that, being fair, being reliable, being consistent, right? Um, you know, being good, right? But not only in skills and in conduct, but, you know, I think we all want to understand ourselves as good people inwardly. I have a good soul. I have a good heart. I'm a good person. I was watching something and, and you know, a person, his behavior was consistently kind of questionable and selfish and he just kind of priorities were all wrong. But he kept going back to this, like, like he almost like he was trying to convince himself, I'm a good person. Right? And when he like arguing with his wife and arguing with his, um, I think his coworkers, he kept going, but that's not me. I'm decent. I'm good. Yeah. This kind of um, desire uh, to shape and form and arrive at acceptable self-understanding. Right? I think that might, like I said, hinder or clash or uh, get tripped up by what you know, God's call upon our lives. God's call upon our lives could be, uh, you know, a, a dozen things, right? But as we talked about last Sunday, as often we talk about, right? The call of God starts with this realization that we are not good, right? that we are, uh, we're, we're fallen, we're broken, we're darkened, we're sinful. And it, it, it sometimes... A lot of us, even though we want to believe, even though maybe we've grown up in the church or we, 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 under, we uh, recognize, we, kind of, we, we see that, yeah, the, the Bible is the way to live. We don't allow the truth of God. We don't allow that uh, painful sometimes and kind of heartbreaking assessment of God that we are dead in our sins and transgressions. We are far from him. We are not good at all. Yeah, that any goodness that develops in us is because of God's grace, because of God's goodness. 
that is a difficult self-understanding to make, especially when you're encountered with your non-goodness, right? It's funny, like I find myself when I'm thinking about whatever, the Bible, or thinking about people, thinking about life, thinking about ministry. Yeah, I go, I'm not a good, I'm not good at this. I'm not a good person. I'm, you know, that kind of stuff. But when like, you know, let's say Mona and I are having a spat or something, if she hints or suggests, or, you know, in that kind of direction, I'm so like, what are you talking about? I'm good. I'll, I'll insist on that. So I feel like that's my self-understanding that I'm really good, you know, in the heart of hearts. When you strip away everything, that's my core. Uh, and I will cover over it. I will mask it when I'm, you know, when I'm being a pastor, because I have to acknowledge what the Bible says and teach what it says, which says is we're not good. But it has not really sunken in, even after all these years, at least in those kind of stressful moments, right? Uh, how do you form? How do I form my our self understanding? Um, again, it, it, uh, depending on our personalities, depending on our experience, there could be uh, so many different ways uh, that we could approach it. Right? We could come to it. We could arrive at it. And maybe even the the formation of it, though, the means of formation, that could be um, you know evolving uh, all the time uh, as well. How did Jesus form his self-understanding? Unfortunately, I think it's unfortunate, uh, we're not given too much uh, biographical detail about how Jesus came to understand uh, himself. Luke 2, chapter 2, offers that anecdote, an interesting anecdote from Jesus' childhood, where after a religious festival is, is finished, instead of going home in the caravan of his family, uh, Jesus remains behind in the temple. He's debating with the teachers of the law, asking them questions and stuff. And then when the family realizes, you know, where is this guy? They have to go all the way back to Jerusalem, trace their steps, find him in the temple. And they're like, you know, kind of flummoxed. They're like, what's going on? How could you do this to us? And Jesus is like, Did you, would you, don't, don't you know or don't you realize I would be in my father's house? Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So at age 12, how did he, or at that, that time, how did he... Uh, arrive at that conclusion we don't know but already we see kind of the call of god shaping uh who he is how he looks at himself what uh he should be doing right and by that you know it takes 18 years of him staying you know kind of out of the public eye um, he doesn't further act on that until you know god literally calls him and says now is the time for you to uh, preach and teach, uh, heal and exorcise, uh, bring about the kingdom's work that I assigned to you. And, and that's how we end up in, in Luke 4. I think another helpful kind of narrative or episode in Jesus's life that shaped his self-understanding, and I think we can, I'm not sure we can apply the you know, Jesus, boy, Jesus in the temple to ourselves. But I think the temptation of Jesus, right, by the devil in, in the earlier verses in, in Luke 4, the, the, the previous narrative. Um, this is one area of self-understanding that I think really can speak to us and should speak to us. That we should directly uh, 
um, uh, connect uh, to our own self-understandings. And I just want to say that I think Jesus uh, learned many things during this you know, period of 40 days of fasting and being uh, tempted by the devil of suffering and all that. But most importantly was this need to depend on God. In other words, Jesus, despite all of his gifts and all of who he was and you know, all of the miracles that attended to his birth, and, and maybe it, we're not, again, privy to it, but 30 years, um, despite all that took place, what the number one lesson, the number one self-understanding that he needed to gain, and I think he did gain through the uh, wilderness temptations, was that he needed God. Even though he was God, he was the son of God, right? He was not God in the sense that, you know, we humans understand it, right? We humans think, oh, if you're really good at something, then we're God-like, we're independent, we're self-sufficient, we're great, we're awesome. Yeah, in, in that sense, Jesus himself had to learn, uh, I can't do this alone. I'm not, you know, all by myself. I'm not independent. I'm not independent of my father. Even as he was tempted, what did Jesus have to do? He had to really quote the scriptures. He had to really resist. You know, he needed the help of God and the spirit, right, to fend off the devil's uh, arrows. You know, without that spiritual protection, right, Jesus may have been susceptible to defeat. And although he did not give into the temptations and therefore sin, I think Jesus knew that he needed God's power to overcome them. So even Jesus needed to learn dependence. Even that was, I can't do this on my own. This became you know, the call, the, 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 um, the, the stamp of, of God upon his life. So that even as he exercised power, even as he did great things, even as people would start to follow him and, 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 and adore him and to exalt him, he knew that he was not God, that he was had to submit. He was subordinate voluntarily to God uh, the Father. Of course, this idea of depending on God or trusting himself, this was at the crux of Jesus's temptations. Satan's wiles were designed to lead Jesus astray from following God's plan, right? Satan tried to cajole Jesus into what? Making bread from stones, um, gaining the splendor and authority of the world's kingdoms, jumping from the temple and being rescued, right? These were temptations or attempts by Satan to kind of make Jesus the Messiah through Jesus's own abilities and power, right? By having the ability to turn rocks into food, right? Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't follow such a leader, right? To be able to fly, right? To, that no harm, to be indestructible. Wow, that's, that's what the fountain of you, that's what we're looking for. And to have worldly wealth and authority. Yeah, that's what, you know, all, everybody in their own way uh, seems to be pursuing. Jesus could have become what he became through these 
means, right? But he knew that that's not what God wanted for him. This was not God's call upon his life. These were illegitimate, if you will. Yes, he would have power. Yes, he would have authority. Yes, he would have be, be, be beloved. But these weren't to show off. These were not to make him look great on his own. Yeah, no, God's way was that he would win the hearts of the people one by one through yeah, humility, right, through personal interaction, through sacrifice, even through pain, or at least painstakingly. He would have to um, do this. And I think this came, this was uh, one of the key lessons that he came to learn about uh, himself. And that it came to uh, be uh, present. It, it, it defined him, defined his ministry that he would never go off on his own. He would never do it his own way. He would submit and uh, yield these choices uh, to God. Right? So all the decisions, all the timing, all the lifestyle that was upon, uh, upon that, that he needed to make was... Um, submitted, right, surrendered uh, to the Father, all his wills and rights. So you, you see how Jesus was shaped. Jesus's ministry, Jesus's life was shaped by uh, this call. I said this was, I think, directly applicable to us because the same kind of call, depending upon God for all decisions and timing and lifestyle that was upon Jesus is sim similarly upon us. Yeah, do we have that basic understanding that our lives are dependent upon God, whether it's fighting temptations or relying on our own abilities, how clearly do we understand that we have to trust God, right? That we have to uh, do things um, his way. We need God to tell us where to go, when to go, how to go. If go back to Jesus. I'm not sure if Jesus was left, even if Jesus was left to his own devices, if he would have chosen his hometown to announce his candidacy for the servant of the Lord. Uh, his campaign manager might have advised otherwise. It certainly didn't go well. Uh, at least it, it was okay in the beginning, but at the end, they were actually offended and they were going to try to kill him. They're about to throw him off the cliff. Uh, so it might have been more prudent, more strategic for Jesus to, you know, preserve his popularity, attack Nazareth um, after he has some more victories under his belt. But it was not God's call upon him. It was not God's way uh, for him. Verse 1 says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit called him to that place at that time and directed him in the particular manner that he acted. Yeah, is there um, a similar reliance or obedience in our lives? Yeah. Are we really at God's beck and call? Are we willing to let his calling impinge on our plans, on our career ambitions, on our lifestyle comfort, on our preferred modes um, of service? Uh, do our 
uh, lives submit to his authority? Does it supersede, does this call supersede our doubts and uh, desires? Yeah, uh, even whatever Jesus felt he wanted to do or should do, uh, there is this clear uh, priority of God's call uh, upon his life. Now, I think the challenge, right? Uh, one of the challenges as we think through this is to be able to kind of um, discern what this call is. For, for, for Jesus, as we read it, it it's clear. Right. But, you know, we may struggle with that a, a little bit. Right? We may not know or we may not be able to easily or readily figure out. I mean, I, I think there are general desires, general wills for God, for God, that God wants in our lives. Like last Sunday, we talked about being holy and blameless. I mean, that's, a, that's an automatic call for us. I mean, every one of us, that's how we should pursue. And, and, and we, based on that, we can we should align or adjust our lives to uh, do that. But like Jesus was the servant of the Lord in, in, you know, in, in the Isaiahic capacity, how do we discern that? And you know, if Jesus was willing to change his life around to have his life be consistent with that call, right? How do we figure out what it is that God wants me to do and that I should be doing. Um, and I'm not sure there's an easy answer to that. And I'm not sure I can give you a formula and say, this is it for you. This is it for him. This is it for them. You know, it, it, it is a very kind of a personal struggle and something to be worked out by God. I think people can help. Others can speak into that. And there are... Uh, there's wisdom in that, but uh, we need to figure that out uh, for ourselves. And even if it's um, unclear or it takes a long time to ascertain what that is, it's still our responsibility, right? No one can do it for you. But here are some tips that I kind of observed about myself and others, right? I think many a sincere believer uh, might feel called to a certain course of action or a responsibility that God never really assigned to them. Right? And, and we should be wary of that. We might confuse God's will with our own mistaken ambitions or assumptions. I find that the high profile or say glamorous type of, of Christian vocations are the ones that you know people kind of say, oh, I think God called me to that. But I think we have to go through the, you know, the refinement and the and the real soul searching, the real prayer to see if indeed um, you know, it's not just our desires or our, our we're not projecting our own Messiah attitudes uh, upon that. I, I because I think it's because I rarely do people like come to me or demonstrate, I'm called to be lowly to be, you know, the person who does all the thankless work, the invisible, <laughs> uh, you know, 
tasks the, the, the you know cleaning the bathroom or you know cleaning up after everybody leaves you know, no one feels called to that right we're all called to kind of the the upfront stuff the the glorious uh, kinds of things i'm not saying that god doesn't do that but i'm saying our tendency to have again a higher brighter uh, more elevated uh, understandings of ourselves our preferences can uh, lead to a misreading, uh, right? So we really have to kind of look at our pride, look at our preferences squarely when we're trying to figure out what this uh, calling uh, could be. Here's something that I think I see true, at least in the Bible, that those who are called by God, the true callings, they often involve serious uh, even severe character formation meaning that um, I, I think God's callings um, often maybe always involve having to struggle with who we are our character our personality our flaws right sometimes we have to actually be deconstructed and then reformed even if a vocation that might seem attractive because of the honor that it affords, in order for us to fulfill that calling, it can take a serious toll upon our preferred self-understandings. We'll be forced to go, grow through our hardships and situations that you know, we may not be aware of when the call is placed. Apostle Paul, for example, became the greatest missionary in history as well as a remarkable theologian and a writer of scriptural material to boot, but it cost him dearly. Right? Paul had a very high calling, let's say, lofty calling, but it took so much out of him. Right? And God was up front. He tells uh, Paul's baptizer, he is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles and their kings. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. In order for Paul to have this calling upon his life, so much of his, of what he thought of himself had to go through the gauntlet of discipline and discipleship. Same with Apostle Peter. He wanted to be the big shot among Jesus' disciples, and leadership of the early church was the correct call on his life, but it came through some very low values of experience, a lot of bitter tears for that guy. And Peter had to learn what that call really meant. Even Jesus uh, saw that with great power comes great misunderstanding. He is rejected by the people of Nazareth to whom he announced the call of God, uh, the, the call that God had pl pl placed upon his life. And even Jesus had to learn obedience. Even he had to go through this kind of hardship um, and difficulties. So uh, as I finish, let's think about uh, how we understand ourselves how does the call of God, whatever that may be, how does that impact how we uh, see ourselves? I think uh, it's often taught, and I'm not opposed to it, that God uses our gifts, our abilities, our experiences, our environments to kind of lead us to the call that he has. He matches us uh, to that. And I think that's great. At the same time, right, to me, that's not doesn't quite uh, give justice right to uh, 
the kinds of what he's trying to do through the call, right? What he's trying to, the work, the, a calling to me is not just what you do for others or do in the world. It's what is done in me, in you, through the call, right? So, you know, Moses, he's an interesting guy to, to think about this call, right? Because God called him from the burning bush and he said, no way, I am not going to do what you call me to do. I'm not gifted that way, whatever, right? But God will not say, accept right, his, his rejection. And God compels him uh, to go. And I think Moses has to go through so much right, in trying to lead his people. He goes through so much understanding, so much misunderstanding, so much challenge, right? Uh, but in the end, we see that yeah, not only does he change his people, change the world, but himself inside, he is uh, changed, right? Uh, he, we even get to understand why um, he saw himself as a deliverer, right? Back when he was a prince of Egypt. And then how he had to... Um, submit or surrender that self-understanding and then rediscover it right through God's timing and through God's grace. So let's take some time in prayer right now to uh, consider what this might be. Let me give us uh, a few moments about self-understanding, calling. Let's, let's reflect. I think it's apparent even in uh, wider circles beyond the church that to know ourselves is uh, one of the pinnacles of wisdom, of knowledge and truth. And so uh, as we pursue that, um, we may uh, bring to bear uh, many, many good sources, many helpful uh, data points. Uh, but uh, as we see in Jesus's life and hopefully our own, your call, uh, your word, your assessment of us, that should be paramount. Help us to take some time to think through this uh, and most of all to, to change, to bring our character, to bring our understandings in conformity with yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.